0: Welcome to our latest edition of Vermont Credit Unions On Air, provided by the Association of Vermont Credit Unions. We're airing this episode during October, which is widely recognized as Cooperative Month and includes International Credit Union Day on the third Thursday. There are 2.6 million cooperatives around the world, and one out of six people are members. With our usual podcast episodes focused on credit unions, we thought it would be a good idea to highlight a different sector of cooperatives during each week of co-op month. So this week we're featuring a discussion we recorded with Matt Kropp about employee-owned cooperatives. Here are Joe Bergeron
1: and Matt Kropp. I'm Joe Bergeron and with me is Matt Crop. Uh, That may be a familiar name for some since early on he researched and documented the history of Vermont credit unions for us. But in his role today, Matt is co-executive director of the Vermont Employee Ownership Center, a statewide nonprofit that promotes and fosters employee ownership of businesses around the state. Employee-owned companies are a form of cooperative, and broadening our understanding of different types of cooperatives, their similarities and differences with credit unions, is why we're here today. So thanks for joining us, Matt.
0: Happy to be here.
1: It's, uh, it's great. We have we happen to be recording this on a sunny day, and uh, all is well in co-op land, so uh, it's a good time to be talking. Um, so Matt, uh, co-executive director of the Vermont Employee Ownership Center, or VEOC for short, Right. That's what it's commonly referred to as. Correct. Um, so you work with and, and convert businesses to employee-owned companies or cooperatives. So um, w- what is an employee-owned company or cooperative? Right. So so
0: employee ownership, kind of in the broad, the broadest sense, is just the idea of the employees of the company um, having an ownership stake. And for the VEOC, we focus on what we refer to as broad-based employee ownership, so that that's situations where every employee has a path to becoming a co-owner of the company they work in. Um, and there's a number of different models that that can kind of be implemented through. Um, the two most common that we work with are uh, the worker cooperative, which is you know, the cousin of the, the, the credit union and other other forms of co-ops, and then the, the employee stock ownership plan, which is um, a retirement plan that, um, that, own, that owns the, the company, so it's kind of a more indirect form of employee ownership. Um, but one that also kind of comes up with a lot of bigger companies. And there's also recently kind of um, a practice that's common in the UK and is kind of coming more to the U.S. called uh, an employee ownership trust. So we don't have any of those in Vermont yet, although we've had some conversations with a few companies recently about that as another possibility.
1: What's an employee ownership trust compared to an employee stock-owned organization or a worker co-op?
0: Yeah, so with... um, you know with a, I guess the the kind of the breakdown is for a worker co-op is a form of direct ownership so just like when you join a credit union you buy a share right um, when you join a worker co-op as an as a employee owner you purchase one share of the, the co-op which mm-hmm. means you get one vote for the board of directors um, you get a share of profit based on um, the amount of labor you contribute to the to the organization so uh, similar to you know say a, uh, where a credit union or another form of consumer co-op, the The patronage is based on the amount of business you do with the co op. Right. In this case, the amount of business you do is the amount of the amount of labor you contribute. Sure. Um, with sort of an, an employee stock ownership plan, it's uh, the employees receive ownership as a benefit. So it's very similar to something like a four hundred one k, where each year the company makes a pre tax contribution to the, the, your ESOP plan that's yeah. used to buy s- stock in the company, and you build your know, kind of equity over time. Um with the employee ownership trust, it's uh, purpose trust that exists for the benefit of employees. So that so employees don't build up equity in the same way they would with the uh, with the ESOP, but rather they get a profit share each year and then they get to participate in governance. So it's a few different kind of ways of approaching this this idea of spreading ownership amongst all the employees in a company.
1: So um and, and thanks for uh, kind of relating everything to credit union speak for us. Uh, I'm sure most of the people listening appreciate that. I know I do. Um, the uh, Kicking it back to the, the worker co-op that you were first talking about, uh, you said when uh, uh, somebody becomes an employee of ABC Company, um, that is a worker co-op, um, uh, that person becomes a member like they do in a credit union and so on and so forth
0: One uh, slight difference there is that there's usually a probationary period so okay. if someone works there for maybe a year and then if sure. it's a good fit then they're invited to,
1: to join sure so. so at the other end of the timeline what happens when they leave the employment of the company
0: so so with a, within a worker co-op each year you know you get a profit in addition to having a vote for the board of directors um, you you get a profit share and usually part of that is paid out in cash and the part can be retained by the company as working capital so when you leave, usually your shares bought back. Um, and then the company has a number of years if it's retained some of that with that profit kind of in an accountant uh, in your name has a as number of years to sort of buy buy that back from you. So there's a predictor mm-hmm. compared to something where You're, you know, have a partnership where someone owns twenty five percent of the company, and you need to kind of value the company, and and it's really dependent on market conditions what the offboarding looks like. Mm -hmm. With a with a worker co op, it's a fairly predictable number
1: that you can you can plan for over time. And how might that differ from an ESOP or a stock owned company? Right.
0: So then ESOP again, it's a kind of a RISA qualified retirement plan. Uh, So oftentimes, what'll happen is you know someone will you know the 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 employee doesn't put kind of cash out of their pocket into it in the same way that you would with the co-op. So they receive this benefit, it builds up in a a retirement account, and then if they leave at retirement, you know, it's usually bought back on an accelerated schedule. If they leave, um, you know, to go to another employer or Mm -hmm. for for any other reason, um, usually there's a five-year period for the company to start paying it out in a five-year period. Uh, for them to pay it out so it can Uh, be done over time and because it's this you know in this tax preferred um kind of account it can be rolled over into an ira or similar similar sort of thing uh, so that you don't get any penalties or something like that interesting
1: um so what's the so so all of these uh different forms two you said in vermont worker co-ops and esops uh, but then the third the employee ownership trust which you said we don't have in vermont but all of those together, just generically, um, are referred to as employee-owned companies. Right? Yes, yes. Okay. So that's I'm clear on that. Okay.
0: Sure. Yeah. So it's it's this kind of you know the, there's a number of ways of of making it happen, but the core goal being to kind of create create companies that uh, that broadly distribute the the. The, the profits and the fruits of the success of the company to, to everyone who's participating in creating it.
1: So I know, Matt, uh, from speaking to you before, that you know, some companies start out as a work co-op and employee-owned stock company or whatever form it might take. Um, but your organization, uh, Vermont Employee Ownership Center, uh, does a lot of work with business owners, helping them facilitate a migration from a sole proprietorship or whatever form that they currently have uh, to some form of employee-owned company. So, is, Have I got that right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of really, you know, we work with, we certainly work with startups. It's, um, there there's definitely a consistent trickle of interest in starting a, a company kind of from scratch as a co-op. Um, with ESOPs, it generally, the entrepreneurial side, It's it's something that you need to be of a certain scale because of the kind of overhead of being a reg, you know regulated retirement plan sure. before you can do that. So sometimes there'll be companies; they're still fairly early stage, but they usually don't start with that in place. Um, but yeah, so most of our work is around ownership succession, and so we do things like you know it's like ownership succession seminars around the state that are um, uh, that are free, and we do in partnership with kind of some of the the economic development organizations like RDCs and things like that. Um, but re- you know, our, our focal point is saying, okay, so you have a business owner, they have concern, They want an exit, you know, they built this, maybe a lot of times most of their personal assets are in this business they built over the course of their career, um, so the big question is when they retire, what's going to happen to the company? Is it going to be sort of, you know, be sold to a manager? Is it going to pass down through the family? Is it going to be bought up by a private equity firm and kind of rolled, rolled in with a competitor? Or you could sell to the employees. And so different business owners definitely have different motivations for going into this. You know, there's certain tax benefits, certainly for selling to either a worker co-op or ESOP for um, for the selling owner. They can defer capital gains taxes and things like that. Um, so there can be definitely a financial case Made in a lot of in a lot of cases. Um, there's also definitely legacy considerations for many folks, um, where it's this question of okay, so maybe if the kids aren't going to want to take it over in the next generation, but you know this company has been a part of a community mm-hmm. for many years, mm-hmm. the employee group kind of as this um, as can be a good alternative for 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 that legacy um, reasoning. And then you have, um, you know, questions of culture and building a, you know, there's there's a lot of studies that show that com- companies with broad-based employee ownership combined with participatory management statistically perform at a higher level. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, you know, greater productivity and all of that. Um, so there's definitely some folks who see it as... You know, in the future, this will be their exit. But in the meantime, sort of bringing in maybe partial employee ownership, or even converting fully to a co-op with the former owner as a co-owner now in the new co-op, as a way of kind of building a strong culture that will, you know, take the company beyond their particular individual time horizon.
1: So the reference you made to um, you know studies being done that show that um, employee-owned businesses. Uh, perform better and and so on and so are more profitable so on and so forth. I've I've read those things or some of those things before and, and heard that before, um, and I can I can see uh, how that would apply in particular to worker owned cooperatives, but does it apply equally to ESOPs as well?
0: Yeah, so a lot of the research is done out of um, there's a, a center at Rutgers that that really focuses on profit sharing in, in their business and labor relations school, um, and so. You know, you definitely see, see that on the ESOP side as well. But the key is that participatory management piece. So if you just sort of put it in and don't do anything about it other than say, hey, there's this benefit, a lot of people aren't going to make sort of the connection between their own behavior in the workplace and the, the you know, the performance of their, mm-hmm. of this retirement account. So it's really when you, when you see companies putting things like open book management in place, um, you know, doing uh, various forms of... Uh, you know, management structures that really sort of involve people and give them the line of sight to sort of how the the particulars of their portion of the work contribute to the whole, that you sort of see that that bump in pro, in productivity. So when when you break that study down a little bit more, it was the, the companies that just did ESOPs, it was, you know, there's some slight but not st- statistically significant improvement in productivity. And then the ones that did just participatory management as kind of equivalents were like small, again, small bump. But it was when you combine the two, it was kind of the special sauce of really kind of of increased impor- performance.
1: I don't know if it's, uh, if it's okay to, to name names as an example or anything, but, but I know from attending one of your conferences before that there are a whole lot more, uh, employee owned companies in Vermont than I would have imagined. And I was wondering if you can cite any example of a company, uh, employee owned, um, that really epitomizes what you were just referencing about the employees being involved in the management of the company, and mm-hmm. with a, whether it be a, a board or committees and structures and decision making and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. So. On the bigger end of companies that people might recognize, one that's that's very sort of consumer-facing f- that probably a lot of people know of is King Arthur Flower, mm. um, who made the kind of transition from their family-owned for many years. Uh, I think they went 100 percent ESOP uh, about a decade ago or so, um, and they've they've really leaned into the you know the the cu- culture building and participatory management stuff, and they ended up actually. Um, uh, deciding that they wanted to actually have not a single CEO, but kind of a, a three-person executive team, which really. has been very interesting to see kind of how that's been playing out. Hmm. Um, the other one that people might not know as much, but is actually quite a quite a powerhouse of a company in the Vermont economy, is um, Karis Reels down in the, the Rutland right. area. Um, and they were also kind of a multi-generation family company where the, the last generation before the ESOP really... Um, decided that they wanted to to dig deep into the, the sort of culture stuff. And so they, they pride themselves on being 100% employee-owned and governed. And with the, the ESOP model and like the co-op, sort of it's not inherent that the um, the employees will have a governance role in addition to having financial participation. Um, but in their case, you know, there's the option to do it. And so they've done stuff where they have, you know, these advisory committees with people from different parts of the company that come together. Um, and they've been actually expanding and acquiring acquiring some companies in other parts of the country now and so it's been interesting to hear stories about how they're sort of starting to bring the folks in these new companies into their employee ownership culture Hmm. Um, because it's not something that again it's while it's more widespread than many people you know initially think it's still something that most people it's don't have kind of any sort of knowledge of unless they've actually worked at an employee-owned company. So there definitely are some cultural changes to, that need to happen
1: in order for for the employee ownership to really kind of you know meet its highest uh, possibilities. So in credit union land, you know, we're well familiar with the governance structure that we have of being led by volunteer board of directors, that employees management, you have a committee or two, and so on and so forth. But that's all kind of Predetermined and pre-baked, and if you want to be a credit union, that's the kind of structure that you you have to have uh, at the at the base. But it sounds like in an employee-owned company, there there is greater flexibility. Um, that the ownership part may have some similarities, but uh, the governance part there may or may not be something akin to a board of directors and so on and so forth. It probably depends on what arrangement um, the owner of the company if it migrated uh... from sole proprietor to uh employee owned what the owner of the property initiated and what the employees over time decided to do and
0: yeah so, so this is one of the places where the worker co-op and the esop kind of diverge is that mm-hmm. just like credit unions you know worker co-ops are also cooperatives, so they have the democratic governance one member one vote principle baked into their right. their model right so there's still some some variability there so for instance the baseline is usually it's you know every employee owner has one vote in that worker co-op and then usually the board is made up of employees mm-hmm. um there are some worker co-ops that decide that they want to have say a majority of the board be employees and then another and then that board also elects a few other directors who kind of are various stakeholders so an example locally is um pt360 who are a physical mm-hmm. therapy worker co-op yeah. um and so they have a board that's majority of people who work at the physical therapy practice. But then they also have someone who's a doctor at a hospital that refers a lot of folks to them. You know, they have other kinds of people who are kind of in roles in the community that, you know, makes sense. And, you know, another great example that has a close connection to a lot of the food co-ops in Vermont is Equal Exchange, where they're a fair trade importer of about 180 employee owners, I believe at this point, headquartered in Boston. Um, You know, they import things like chocolate and bananas and stuff like that. And so they have six board members who are elected from their workforce, and then, you know, someone who represents some of the farm co-ops they import from, someone who represents the food co-ops they sell through, and I think someone who represents some one of the, the faith communities where they do a lot of their ma- mail order stuff through. So there's like, you know, some variation in, in the governance that can happen. Whereas with, with ESOPs, kind of at, at its core, again, it's a retirement plan. Mm. And so there's this kind of, the there's a trustee who has this like very specific fiduciary duty that's regulated by the Department of Labor as, you know, part of this large Larger retirement system, and so everything kind of governance-wise that happens also needs to sort of take that piece into account. And so there's there's certain things around you know there's a lot of flexibility. It could be totally democratic. You have things like once again nut butter that are legally ESOPs, but functionally you know have governance that looks like a cooperative. And then you have the other sort of extreme, which is the trustee basically appoints a board of directors, and the board of directors you know is is kind of you know, like the company can look very conventional and you would mm-hmm. not be able to tell from looking outside that it's different than a non-employee yeah. owned
1: company. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, I, I mentioned that I was surprised to learn ab- about the array of types of employee owned companies in Vermont. Um, but you deal with them or, or your, uh, e- VEOC, uh, you know, has dealt with them over the years and whatnot in some way shape or form and you have a conference every year where you pull many of these folks together so can you paint some picture for us of uh, what the countryside looks like for employee-owned companies in vermont like the breadth and depth of you know how many employee-owned companies are there is it predominantly worker-owned versus esop and from small to i'm guessing there's a lot of small ones like there are in co-op land mm-hmm. and just paint yeah, a picture.
0: yeah. So, so it generally bifurcates into ESOPs. Kind of have a floor of size of about twenty employees before mm-hmm. the kind of overhead administrative costs red tape becomes sure. greater than the benefits of doing it. Sure. Um, so we've got about
1: and, and twenty seems pretty low to me. Mm-hmm. Even hearing that, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. So there's a lot that are much bigger, but that's kind of when we're talking to a business owner and they're thinking about, well, what direction should I take? You know, that's sure. one of the kind of rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so we have about I think the last count was somewhere around 35 37 kind of ESOP companies that are headquartered in Vermont and uh, 18 worker co-ops. So, and the ESOP companies tend to be much, much larger. There's certainly some overlap of, in terms of size. So, so the biggest employees-wise worker co-op in Vermont has, uh, I think, like 55, 60 employees, whereas the the largest he- Vermont headquartered ESOP, although there's some you know, larger regional companies that also have a presence here, um, like Kinney Drugs, for instance, is uh, has mm. a is an employee-owned company. Um, but so, is would be like PC Construction, which has operations all up and down the East Coast, and has a Close to a thousand employees. Wow! Um, so when you kind of we've, we've you and know had
1: PC construction, just so people make the connection, used to be pizza gallery construction. Yes, right? yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so so that again another kind of good example of a family family that um, enterprise that then that then shifted to the the employee group as the sort of right. exit point during kind of a generational transfer. Right. Um, so so you have like. You know, the, I think when we did our last count, you know, several thousand employee employee owners um, amongst all these companies. Um, in terms of you know number, the vast majority of that is in in the some of these big ESOP companies. Sure. Um, you know, the the worker co-ops kind of I think was it was uh, something about 250 sort of total employees. So so you know the biggest being the New School of Montpelier, which mm-hmm. provides kind of specialized services to um, to to. Kids who have uh, like high high intensity special needs in small school districts, hmm. you, know, you have PT three hundred and sixty, Catamount Solar, um, and then can kind of, kind of go down the list. The newest the newest one is um, Nutty Steffs, which is um, kind of a of you that. know yeah. chocolate and you know granola manufacturer yeah. out in the Middlesex area. Although I believe they're about to move to Montpelier, so they hmm. we worked with them for their business owner for a few years, and then they flipped earlier this year. So that was a little exciting one.
1: Interesting. You know, there's probably a variety of reasons for um, a business owner, and it sounds like by vast majority that most employee-owned companies, at least in Vermont, started out um, as for-profit businesses of one sort or another under some ownership structure, and, and at some point in time, the migration was made to an employee-owned company. So, I know you touched on it briefly, but what are some of the... Can you elaborate a little bit on some of the considerations that an an owner of a business or a partnership or, you know, whatever the ownership structure might be, uh, might be thinking about that motivates them to turn it over to employees? I understand about the family part, you know, if it's a family business and nobody in your family is interested in continuing the business, um, but you're close to the employees or, you know, you are... A significant employment force in the local community and whatnot but but that part aside um you know what are some of the reasons you've seen some companies convert to employee ownership Yeah. So, you know, I mean, one of the things that every business owner needs to be thinking about is their
0: exit, right? You know, you're, you're a human being, you're not going to live forever. You're going to want to do something else with your life at some point. So what is the, what is the plan to get out? And so, and, you know, lots of business advisors will tell people it's, you know, common sense to that. The, the earlier you're thinking about, you're, you're thinking about the exit, the more options you have, and the more you can kind of wait for the, and wait for the best opportunity or develop the best opportunity and so kind of one of the key differences when thinking about succession is you know sale to outsider versus sale to insiders right um a, a pretty common exit strategy for small businesses is you have a manager who's you know knows the business inside and out you know ultimately as the business owner maybe you can be totally hands off and then it makes sense to sell to the to the manager so uh, sale to the employees can often look very similar to to that but just saying okay it's the whole employee group rather than just the manager so you have um you know the and and one of the sort of advantages that that certainly selling to, for small businesses, selling to kind of the worker co-op versus the manager can, can, can bring to the table is a little bit more sort of cash up front, because in a lot of those transactions, you're going to see a lot of, you know, oftentimes majority seller financing. So the seller goes to the manager says, hey, can you buy it? But, you know, I know you don't have a lot of assets yourself, so maybe, you know, you're, you take out a loan and it's backed by your house and a personal guarantee, and you put down a quarter and then you pay the rest to me out of profits over the next 10 years or something like that. Um, fortunately, we're at now at a point where there's you know a decent financing infrastructure for for worker co-ops. So oftentimes, that selling owner is maybe only going to have to hold a third of the sale price um, as a seller's note rather than two thirds or three quarters. Um, you know, things like the Cooperative Fund of New England, which is a CDFI, has is a is a great financing resource. Um, and sort of there's been some development actually in the in the credit union world on um, the development of some equity uh, type investments to help with these two uh, VSE. CCU has developed a co-op capital program mm-hmm. uh, that they've used a few times and we've definitely been keeping a close eye on um, as a way of kind of again sort of helping those sort of the lower wealth portion of the workforce sure. bring that that capital to the table. Um, so that can be, so, so that just kind of like, this as an al- as a alternative way of selling to the insiders who can, can be a great um, option. It definitely needs a little bit of lead time is not just a buyer coming to the table saying, Hey, here's here's some cash, you know, see you later. More complex than right. that. So yeah. but if it's something where especially if someone has the ability to start planning early and cultivating the sort of culture and the skills amongst mm-hmm. the workforce to be able to take that on, that's what we love to see. You know, we get lots of emails and phone calls from people who are like seventy mm-hmm. and want to be out in six months because there's oh. a health problem. And yeah. you know, occasionally in the right situation that can work. But you know the best thing to hear from is someone who's like Early fifties. No, they should be starting to think about this, but they have plenty of lead time, yeah. and so they can say, "All right, so I'm gonna, you know, wrap my wrap my hands around this, what this looks like, and then lay some groundwork, and then when the time comes, it's going to be much easier because things have already been put into position. So there can be this sense of, you know, is this something that I, you know, if, if this is something that you want to do and you see sort of see the benefits to it, you know, having having that um, that longer term perspective on succession can be really an important piece. Um, and then with, with ESOPs, it's, it's something where, because it's not a direct form of ownership, um, it plays out a little differently, because you don't need the employees to be sort of an active participant on the buy side of the transaction. It's something where the transactions are highly regulated, There's basically they can't pay more than fair market value, um, but there's often cases where companies won't actually reveal that they're putting an ESOP in place until the transaction has happened. So an example of that was, um, uh, fairly recently, was um, uh, Harpoon Brewing, where they uh, had a little sort of thing where they've called like an all-staff meeting. They had two partners, one of whom um, wanted out. The other one wanted to stay in for a while, so they sold... The one partner share to the ESOP, um, so they brought everyone down. They held this big all staff meeting. Announcement was like, "Okay, you're going to meet the new owner." And they take a you know a little cloth off the um, off of a mirror and be like, "It's you!" You know, congratulate your fellow coworkers because you're now co owners of this business. Um, so the so the again this kind of transition can take a while and it's a farm it's a far more technical
1: right thing for right. for the
0: esop but it's also something where the cultural transition can happen a little bit more later versus with the worker co-op where where it's got to be kind of like as the deal is being
1: you know done so is that uh, a little bit unusual what you referenced with the esop uh of well harpoon is your example where it's only partially on uh, the, the stock ownership is um for the employee portion is part of the company, but they're still a standalone individual partner as well. It's
0: changed. It's changed a bit over time. So it used to be that uh, gradual was far more common, and this is one of the differences. Is with worker co-ops, it's very. It's hard. Very and it's very rare to do a partial transaction. Mm-hmm. It's usually kind of an all-at-once thing. All or nothing, right? Right. Whereas with the ESOP, it's something where it, the ESOP technically can buy any portion of the company. It could buy one percent. It could buy thirty percent. It could buy the bunch of tax benefits kick in at thirty percent, um, but. to so in the past, things like Gardner Supply Company, when in their early years, basically whenever they had a really good year, they would sort of do a profit share essentially through the ESOP, where they put some money in the ESOP that would buy its shares, and they gradually built up ownership over time. Um, more recently, because um, uh, there's there's this really nice tax benefit where if it's an S corporation that's 100% owned by the ESOP, the S corporation is a pass-through entity, so the the corporation doesn't pay any uh, any corporate income tax because All the taxes are kind of being paid by the beneficiaries Hmm. upon sort of like receiving their their retirement benefit. Um, But because of that, sort of a lot of companies will kind of do leverage transactions now where they go from zero to 100 all at once. And then Hmm.
1: they can kind of pay down the debt with pre-tax dollars, which is a nice financing tool. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I just always had it fixed in my mind that uh, when I thought ESOP, I thought, you know, all or nothing. um, Mm -hmm. But
0: yeah, yeah, it's that's the sort of common approach now. But sort of in the in the early years, it was that kind of thing where you could either do it that way, or it could be something where it was just, all right, every year, you know, if we do well, we'll
1: kind of build another one or two percent ownership, kind of gradually towards a hundred percent. So uh, in both forms, um, a worker co-op and an ESOP, at least for Vermont, anyway. Um, it's it's all um, kind of internally focused as far as structure is concerned, and, and what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that in credit union land, you know, we're cooperatives democratically and whatnot, but um, in a lot of cases, because all the membership is is uh, an owner, technically, um, a lot of credit unions promote that fact to their outwardly to their members that they are a cooperative and the members own and so on and so forth. But in employee owned companies, I imagine that to people on the street or to a crediting with an employee owned business in their field of membership, those businesses, for the most part, probably just look like any other kind of business out there in whatever area of business that they're doing. The employee ownership doesn't really come through in their outreach typically does it
0: depends i'd say for uh b- business to consumer companies there's definitely some some companies that that lean into it because i think there's a there's a fairly well-earned perception of quality around it where it's like okay so if a you're philosophical
1: difference philosophical difference but geography.
0: also the idea of like you know okay so if someone's working on your house or your hvac system or installing your solar panels or whatever um you know you're the person who's doing the, who's doing the work is an owner and has a stake yeah. in the success okay. of the business. So there's yeah. some perception of quality especially in like B2C type companies. Sure. So you see things like King Arthur Flower or Harpoon like you walk into their taproom and you know their headquarters in Boston and it says, you know, proudly employee owned on the on the plaque and things right. like that. Okay. So there's that and then there's that question also of like kind of recruitment where the, where companies will will kind of and are kind of working at figuring out how best to, to communicate that but sort of you know, say, like, okay, like, we're, we have a, you know, good work culture, we have, you know, you have, you share in the success of the business, so it can kind of, it can be a a larger factor in that question of, like, you know, attracting and retaining talent, certainly. Um, And, you know, the other thing, you know, business wise it from a lender's perspective that can kind of come up less for ESOPs but more for the, the smaller smaller business co ops is oftentimes with a lot of small businesses their their kind of credit is based on, you know, maybe the the owner's personal personal credit, you know, right. their assets, their right. personal guarantee. Um, with worker co ops and lending to worker co ops, that can sometimes be tricky because mm-hmm. you have 10 people who are all equal co-owners who have maybe vastly different personal assets. So it's hard to sort of like distribute that sort of guarantee um, on a equitable basis. So right. oftentimes that looks like, you know, with the Cooperative Fund of New England, for instance, as a lender, um, sort of not requiring personal guarantees for loans to the co-op, um, or sort of doing, you know, or doing certain things where someone might be who's willing to do that might receive some kind of like payment or compensation for taking on the risk for the group so there's so so when it's when it comes to sort of doing business sort especially with worker co-ops the the lending can look a little bit different than it would look like to be a with a with a you know small business owned by a single owner so it's not quite the the fish of that but it's also not quite the foul of like lending to a non-profit where there's you know very different rules so it's right. its own kind of its own little beastie
1: hmm. All oh, interesting stuff, Matt. You've done a great job at uh, explaining to to us uh, and all of our listeners about. Um you know how common uh, employee-owned companies are in Vermont and the differences, most importantly, and I appreciate this, between worker co-ops and ESOPs and then employee trusts, which you mentioned we don't really have in Vermont yet. Um, but it's all pretty fascinating because it is part of the co-op family, uh, kind of cousin, kissing cousins sort of. Maybe not the kissing part, the cousins, <laughs> the cousins part anyway. Um, uh, but, you know, the, a, a lot of the same basic philosophical structures and so on and so forth. So that's great. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate that any um, any parting thoughts any territory we didn't cover that we ought to convey about uh, employee owned companies doing business in Vermont uh, uh,
0: so I, I would just say for from the perspective of Vermont credit unions and certainly as, as kind of business lending becomes a larger um, a larger portion of, of your portfolios um, the the idea of kind of four clients thinking about you know, thinking about their succession and those conversations as they come up, um, the opportunity for, for, you know, doing employee ownership conversions where, where, you know, those businesses will stay here. Those accounts will stay here is, is sort of a good thing for Vermont. And so I would, I would just say encourage folks to to when they're dealing with business clients and, and this, this issue comes up, you know, the VEOC is always happy to have a, you know, a, you know, free consultation, conversation with those folks, you know, we exist to be, to kind of provide these educational resources around this uh, particular form of ownership. So, um, you know, we, we see, sort of, are excited to see these little bits and pieces of credit unions engaging in this in this space already. Um, you know, that that co-op capital fund with mm-hmm. VSECU is based on an interesting little tidbit of Vermont's uh, credit union law that's different than most other states. So that was a a neat little discovery. But I'd certainly love to see kind of deeper engagement going forward around around these sorts of conversions that keep good businesses in Vermont.
1: So that's a really good point that I hadn't uh, previously thought of in this conversation anyway, that uh, from a lending perspective, when a lender is looking at an employee-owned company, um, if it's concerned about what might happen down the road and so on and so forth, That it's not a reflection on, you know, how good a job that business does in whatever market it happens to be in. But as far as the business continuing to be based where it is and and with the current ownership and so on and so forth, uh, Linda can be pretty confident that that business isn't going anywhere.
0: Right. right. Like yeah, said, yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of those things where from the perspective of kind of building community wealth and right. sort of like long term sustainable economic development, we, we think employee ownership and co-ops in general also have like a really important role to play because they kind of they're inherently sort of rooted in community right. and, you know, can kind of have that organic growth while at the same time, you know, it's it's something where, you know, a group of employees are not all it's going to be pretty rare for you know 50 or 100 people who all have our co-owners of a company here to say oh there's a slightly better tax incentive in south carolina so right. let's move right. there for two years and then move somewhere else right. right it sort of deepens the connection between kind of community and enterprise
1: so if a credit union um or anybody else for that matter wants to find out more about um what employee-owned companies are in vermont or what ESOPs are in Vermont or something about V E O C. Where can they find all that out?
0: Well so we've got um you know we've got a, a nice little page on our website that has a list of all the employee owned companies and mm-hmm. a little, you know, Google map with pins on it. So if you're interested in just kind of getting the lay of the land, that's a great thing to check out. Um, and that's at VEOC? VEOC.org. Org. And then sort of two other just more general resources I'd recommend if you're interested in going deeper is on the ESOP side, the National Center for Employee Ownership has a lot of great materials on their website just kind of as a resource database. Um, and that's NCEO.org um and then there's on the worker co-op side um the the democracy at work institute has a huge resource library a lot of webinars all kind of available for free and that's um institute.coop so so those are all places you can go if you want to
1: you want to dig deeper into this topic and VEOC does a conference for all uh, employee-owned companies in the spring each year. Uh, the past few years has been at the Davis Center at UVM, right? Yep, I yep. We've I've
0: just confirmed our date for the next next one, which will be June 11th.
1: Excellent. So if a credit union or an individual wanted to participate in that to see what it's all like and hear the discussion going on, are they able to do that?
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's open. Yeah, you know, we... we have it have it open to the the broader community we'll have kind of registration info up usually in the in the springtime um right now i'm trying to nail down our keynoter so that's our, uh, our big work right now but the um um, you know, this last year was our biggest to date. We had a 264 folks register. You know, it's a good mix of people from those existing employee-owned companies, people from other Vermont companies that are exploring this as their exit route, and, the, right. and folks from the economic development community. So it's a, it's always a really interesting mix of folks and good conversation.
1: And as I recall, it's a multi, some, somewhat of a multi-day event, and you have a ton of breakout sessions, uh, a lot of um, local uh, representatives of um, employee-owned companies that are explaining either about their business or how they did the migration from mm-hmm. sole proprietor to employee-owned. and Yeah, we usually want so to have on one so track forth, yeah.
0: that's for those newcomers learning right. about it, considering it. You know, some tracks for folks from existing employee-owned companies to both hear from experts and to share with each other about mm-hmm. best practices or innovative things that they're doing. Um, and then, you know, usually we have like the night before pre-conference dinner, and then um, oftentimes there's there's maybe like a side meeting or something tagged on. This year, um, Democracy at Work Institute had a had a meeting about the new. Last year, there was a law called the Main Street Employee Ownership Act passed, which um, amongst other things has made it uh, uh, much. Uh, hopefully, there's still some rulemaking happening, but much cleaner in terms of how SBA loan guarantees can be applied to employee-owned companies um, for conversions and things like that. So we had kind of a meeting about what are the implications of that. So so it's really a good sort of gathering of the of this broader community to to discuss what we've what we've been up to and you know what's what's the work for the coming year and you
1: know what and you know what's the status of the of the you know, employee ownership world at that particular moment. I know I found it really interesting when I attended uh, learning about, you know, all the worker-owned uh, or em- employee-owned companies in the state of Vermont and all the considerations and whatnot that go along with that and the different structures and whatnot. So it was a really good learning experience, and I'm sure that uh, anybody listening would find it a real uh, interesting event too. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Matt. It's been, it's been great. My pleasure. With that, uh, we've reached the end of another Vermont Credit Unions On Air podcast and hope you have found it informative. You can hear all of our previously recorded podcasts by searching for Vermont Credit Unions On Air in the iTunes store or at soundcloud.com. If you have ideas for a podcast on something you'd like to hear about, send it to podcasts at op. Until our next podcast, this is Joe Bergeron and Matt Crop at the Association of Vermont Credit Unions thanking you for listening.